Hey, so how many football fans do we have in here? Uh, you're still a football fan even after last night, Mac? Uh, you're mourning, uh, a mourning fan, yeah. Um, you know, so I, I hesitate to say this, all right, but I'm going to anyways. And uh, uh, do you guys know it's all rigged? It's all rigged. Everything in this world is rigged. And in fact, there's nothing uh, you can even do about the outcomes of anything. All you're responsible. Do you guys know you are not? I loved what Erica said. You are not responsible for the result. You know what we're responsible for? We are responsible for doing what God wants us to do. And if you take every step God wants you to take, you will end up where God wants you and success will be redefined. Amen, Scott? That's a, the success is taking the steps God wants you to take. It, it's not accomplishing some result. We've been fed this, and so we feel like failures when, when we don't accomplish a result that we thought should happen. But if you take every step God Almighty wants you to take, you are a success. And the bottom line, do you know, according to Daniel chapter 2, who, who puts leaders in charge? God. So you can vote, and you should vote. You are supposed to vote. We have a privilege to vote. But guess what? Who is going to determine who the next president of the United States is going to be? God. Now you are going to have to answer for what you do in that. And that's what we do. We take each step we are supposed to take in everything we do. Who is in control of who wins the Super Bowl, my, my friends? Who's in control? God, is it? Some of y'all are like, whoa, wait a minute, no. Uh, you, no, if, if we want to go the other route theologically, okay, I, uh, I, I'm going with the whole conspiracy theory thing, and I'll tell you how this happened. Uh, everything I know about sports, I learned in my barbershop, all right? In my barbershop, and these are the old guys, dude. These guys, man, they, they know everything. That's all they talk about, all they listen to all day long everything that's going on, and I listen to it, and then I add in what I have to add in because I try to watch sports with my wife, so I have very little to add in. She, she, she helps me out, and I have a little something to say, but months ago, months ago, we were talking about the Super Bowl. All right, now you're starting to hear about this, so the NFL may have to tweak it a little bit, but months ago, my barber sitting here cutting my hair, and he said, you know who's going to be in the Super Bowl? And I said, no, dude. You know? I said, God does. He said, no, it's going to be the Ravens and it's going to be the 49ers. I'm like, well, how do you know that? He said, for the last four years, and I brought this up in a small group a couple weeks ago or three weeks ago or so, but months ago he told me this. He said, for the last four years, they make the Super Bowl logo before the season starts, and they have two colors in there, and every year for the last four years, those two colors have represented the two teams in the Super Bowl. You go back and check it. Oh, I got goosebumps because God's in charge. Again, God's in charge. Now, whether it is rigged or maybe they have the odds. And here's my buddy even told me, all the guys in the barbershop are saying, there is so much money made in betting right now on sports. It's huge. It runs everything. And you look at it. I've been in churches where you can't do what God wants you to do because it's not going to work out monetarily. In businesses where you can't do what you, you, you really know you should do and you do things you shouldn't do because of monetary government. Is government run by money by any chance? Whose money? Ours because they don't have any. <laughs> they either print it or get it from us. I'm just saying when money gets involved, I don't care if it's a church, it's a business. When money becomes so big, you can't let things happen naturally. 
There are people behind the scenes tweaking things and making sure results all happen. And so all the elites, the powers of this world, they rig things as best as they possibly can. And again, that's not what I'm preaching on tonight. You're like, oh, you're a conspiracy theorist. Now, go ahead, y'all make me a tinfoil hat right now. But I'm just saying, I know it's rigged. Beyond the, do, do you think that those elites, do you think the people who are calling all the shots that are trying to make their investments turn out the way they're supposed to be, do you think they're actually in control? Do they think they're in control? Yes, absolutely. And God lets them. Do you think Satan thinks he's in control? Absolutely, he thinks he's in control. But who do you know is in control of it all? God is in control of all. How many of y'all really truly believe that? Let me see. Both hands if you truly believe. Oh, some of y'all are like, I got coffee. Just spill it on Eric. It puts, put, throw them both up, man. God is in total control of it all. Period. So if God's in total control, is life rigged? When we say life's rigged, life's fixed. Doesn't that sound bad, Abby? Ooh, it's fixed. It's rigged. Not if you realize it's God is the one who's rigging it. God's the one who's fixing it. Do you believe God's got this whole world, history rigged? Yeah. Is it going to come out exactly the way God has planned for it to come out? Yes. So, let me ask you a question. All right, let me throw it this way. If you knew, Rick, I'm going to pick on you, you know sports stuff a little bit here, but if you knew, now knowing betting is huge, betting is huge, you can... You can't watch a college football game without seeing betting commercials anymore. Have you seen that? I learned that. Try to be a good husband and watch the sports with my wife. Betting commercials on the pro and it's all there. If you knew for a fact who was going to win the Super Bowl, I mean, you knew for a fact, could you make a lot of money betting on that, Rick? And if you truly knew for a fact that it was going to happen, would it be called gambling? No. Gambling is where you presuppose, you, you kind of have an idea that, ooh, this might happen because of all these circumstances. That's gambling. No different than the stock market, I'm just saying. But no different than the lottery tickets, just saying. But it's betting. But when you know that you know that you know that something's actually going to happen, you could make a lot of money, couldn't you? And if you knew, man, dude, Lions, y'all Lions fans, right? Whether you want to admit it or not. Uh, they're done. They don't even matter. They, if they win today, that's awesome. My dad was a lifelong Lions fan from their inception till the day that he died. What have they ever won? Nothing. In fact, the one time they got in the playoffs years ago, they lost because of a rigged call. It was a bad couple of calls against Dallas. That was a rigged call. I mean, there was every single you can watch the replays, and there's somebody always saying, "Watch this call." Every play you could you could call a penalty or not call a penalty. So officiating has a lot to do with it. But if you would have known at the beginning of the year that the Lions would be playing for the it, it going this far, I mean, I'm talking about this year. If you would have known they would have gone that far, could you for sure? Could you have bet some money and made a lot of money on that? Oh my goodness, because who would have said, they would have laughed at you if they said, Lions are going to be playing for the national championship. No, they're not. What? Lions don't play for anything. No, I'm just like, yeah. and, and I'm a life, my dad was a lifelong Lions fan. But if you knew that you knew, you knew. And what if you really knew and you didn't bet on it? You'd be an idiot. I'm just saying, 
if you don't, uh, and I'm not advocating gambling by any means, guys. I am not. Because that's presuming upon God. That's taking a risk. That's ta- I don't think that's how God wants you to invest His money that He has given you. So I'm not advocating gambling. What I'm advocating is when you absolutely know for sure that something's going to happen, you can bet your life on it. You can bet every cent you have on it. You can bet every ounce of energy you have on it. If you know it's going to happen, you cannot lose in this. What is the only thing we know for sure, man? Who wins? Sean, who wins? Jesus wins. Every single thing in the Word of God is true. And so, again, revival in Romans. I'm going to briefly go over the verses we preached on last week. Briefly, if you want more, like two hours worth. No, I'm joking. It was 45 minutes worth. You can go back and read it. Go back and listen to it last week. But would you not bet it? Why would you not bet it all on God if you knew that He is guaranteed to win? Again, if you knew the Lions were going to win, you knew it in spite of the whole Super Bowl logo conspiracy. And, and by the way, who was the, who was the old ex quarterback for the Packers that brought this up a couple of weeks ago? Yeah, huh? Yeah, yeah. There was Far and and. Yeah, yeah, no, far. Yeah, he brought it up. And they're like, oh, you're just a wacko guy. He's the dude who was against anti-vaccine and all that, right? Is that him? Oh, Aaron Rodgers, yeah. Him and far, I get mixed up. But Aaron Rodgers, because I'm not a Packer fan, dude. I ain't a cheesehead, bro. So I'm just, I went to, I, I went, and I'm a cracker, you're the cheese. All right, that's all I'm saying, right? So I went to Flagler, we had a surf team. All right, that's all I got on this. But man, yeah, they're, they're like, oh, you're, you're, he's, and now, yesterday, Linda, she read me something from New England, and it, it was from New England, if you want, she'll send it to you, but it was New England put something out on what the weather would be like when the 49ers played the Ravens for the Super Bowl championship. It was, it was in, it was out there yesterday, so if it doesn't happen that way, it's because the NFL is like, ooh, they caught on. we got to change things. So if the Lions win, no. It's kind of a reverse psychology thing. I'm just saying. But again, it, it, the point is, is if you knew there was going to be a guaranteed result, would it not make sense to bet everything you got on that? Yes. Would it make sense to, oh, if you knew a team was going to lose, would it make sense to invest any money in betting on that team? No, then why do we keep betting against God? Why do we keep betting for ourselves? We, if we know God wins every ounce of energy, every ounce of resources, every ounce of everything needs to go into God. So why would you not bet it, what? All on God. If you knew that he's guaranteed to win. And again, who believes he's guaranteed to win? Yeah, it's a done deal, guys. And you know what's kind of cool? Just like, oh, last night, your heart must have just been broken, brother. It had to be broken. Because it's just like God does against Satan. Say, we'll just pretend Satan were the Packers, and they were winning at the end, right? They're winning, and then all of a sudden, 
God like the 49ers, and by no means am I saying that San Francisco is like God. All right, but I'm just saying the city. But, but man, at the end, here it is. They're losing, they're losing, they're losing. And at the end, there it is. San Francisco gets the ball. And what did San Francisco do, y'all? Yeah, they, got a, they scored a touchdown, right? Yes. They got a touchdown and they won. And that is what we see in Scripture happens with Satan and God all the time. God allows Satan. By the way, Satan is not omniscient. He's not omnipotent. He's not omnipresent. He is a created being by God. He's not God's equal. God has no rival. He has no equal. Satan is nothing more than a, a pawn in God's hand. He's using him the way he wants to use him. And he always lets Satan think he's going to win, just like the Packers thought they were going to win, man. Man, there were cheese parties happening all over with a minute left, dude. And all of a sudden, man, it was just like all the cheese melted. I'm just saying. And it was cold, but yeah. But Satan always, what? Loses. Satan always? Is it a guarantee? Is, it a, 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 right. is that a guaranteed result? Brad, is it guaranteed that Satan always loses? He may get a first down. He may get a completed pass. He may get an interception. It may look like he's going to win. Why does God do that? Because who wants to watch a blowout? <laughs> I'm just saying. Florida State, who wants to watch a blowout? I'm just saying when they got nobody, nobody playing on their team. God likes to keep it close. He wants you watching. He wants you watching, and it's like, and you know he's going to win. I knew San Francisco's going to win because of the logo. I couldn't wait. I sat, that's the only reason I watched, because I'm like, I know they're going to win. I know they're going to win. And sure enough, boom, it was exciting to watch them win, unless you're a cheesehead. But I'm a cracker, so it didn't matter to me. But in that, so again, that's what God does with Satan all the time. Go look into history. Go look in the Word of God. And it always looks like he's going to win. And God comes riding in on the white horse, man. Or whoop, whoop, boom. And who always wins? Who always loses? Jules, are you positive about that? You're positive. So even if you lose a play and you get sacked, you lose a play, you lose some ground, it doesn't matter because in the end, who's going to win? God. And if you're on his team, then who wins? Say, yeah, you do. So you stay on his team. So look at this super quick. These aren't even verses I'm preaching on today, but I got to show them to you. These are ones I've been thinking about all week as I've been studying for this and, and it's processing it. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. Jesus, in you go back and read Matthew chapter 13. He starts out with the whole parable of the sower. He's trying to tell people, like, here's what the kingdom of God is. I'm getting ready to leave. I'm not ushering in the kingdom right now. And when I'm gone, I want you to still know what the kingdom is going to be. It's in the future, and here's what's going to happen. And so you remember the parable of the sower? He said, yep, this guy goes out, and he's got the sower's going out to the field, and he's got a bag full of seed. And the seed is the word of God, and the sower is the Holy Spirit. And the bag's got a little hole in it or something, but as he's going, he spills some on the hard terrazzo. And then he, some spills in the little crack. And then some spills in the field with the weeds. And then some spills exactly where he wants it planted, which is where he's plowed out rows and he's fertilized. He's got irrigation. And what he says is the stuff that falls out on, on the terrazzo, on the concrete, on the path. He's 
that's like when, when I present the word. He said, that's when you hear the word, but it falls on your hard heart. Immediately, Satan takes it. The birds take it and take it away. Immediately, you hear it and you said, dude, I don't want nothing to do with that. That contradicts my plan. I don't want anything to do with that. Boom, gone. And then he says, the stuff that falls in the crack, it starts growing up a little bit. It starts growing, and it's like you hearing the word saying, hmm, I like that. Okay, that works. But all of a sudden, because it has no root, the sun comes and root with it, the, the plant gets withered away. He said, that's like when you hear the word, and you like, all right, I'm going to do it. And y'all ever done that in church? I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. But then all of us, I'm going to read the word of God every morning. But then all of a sudden, you hit the snooze 50 times. You know what I'm saying? Oh, I'm not kidding. Uh, when persecution hits, when it gets hard to do God's word, he said, you quit. So you never really had it. Then he says, the stuff that landed in with the weeds, with the thorns, he said, what happens? That's like when you hear the word of God and you're like, yeah, and everything's going your way. You're yeah, I'm going to do it. Yeah. And you get going, but all of a sudden, anybody ever get busy? Anybody ever get busy? All of a sudden, everything in the world starts, oh, I got this to do. I got that to do. I got this to do. Oh, I used to go to Bible study. I used to read the word. I used to, I used to, I used to, I used to. And all of a sudden, man, you got nothing because it gets choked out with the cares of the world. And by the way, in this parable, he says those three people do not produce fruit and therefore those people are not saved according to the book of John. But the last one the, so, the, wee, the, the seed gets sown in, in the rows where he waters it, where he fertilizes it. And what does it produce, y'all? Fruit. Christians produce fruit. If you don't produce fruit, you ain't a Christian. That's what the Gospel of John says. You go back and read that. And so you, he says you produce fruit. And does everybody produce the same amount, Ann? No, dude, some produce 10, some produce 20, some produce 50. Whatever you produce, it's because of him. And it's because you have taken the word of God and you've allowed it to grow into your life, which is not of you, but it's all of God. So he starts out with that parable. It says, man, so that's you. You can't quit if you're a believer. He goes on and talks about a couple of other ones. But then he comes in and he hits some, the kingdom of heaven is like this. And so the first one, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure. How many of y'all say kingdom of heaven is like treasure? Salvation is like treasure, right? Well, it's hidden in a field, okay? And again, we can't take every bit of this and make it kind of make, like, oh, you know, develop our theology off it. He's just trying to make a point. Oh, sorry, JJ, I hit that, didn't I? He said, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found. Was he looking for the treasure? No, here he is, dum-de-dum-de-dum. And how many of y'all found Christ because you were looking for him? And be careful. Or how many of y'all found Christ because he was looking for you? Yeah. Here you were, dum-de-dum-de-dum-de-dum. All of a sudden, God throws stuff in your life. All of a sudden, he shows up. All of a sudden, boom, there he is. You weren't looking for it here, and it just happened. And that's what Scripture tells us, that we get the desire and ability from Him. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. It's not just out there. You see it. In fact, originally without Christ, when you see it, you're like, I don't want nothing to do with that stuff. Or maybe I'll, I'll do it until it gets too difficult. Or maybe I'll do it until I just don't have time for it. But when you really get that treasure, it's because God has set everything up. So, which a man found and, and, and covered up. So he found it and he covered it up. I don't know, spiritual allegory there, whatever, but he says, then in his what? Joy. He found a treasure. And, and so again, 
he found a treasure and it's like, dude, whatever I need to get this treasure, I'm going for it. It is such a valuable treasure. I'm willing to do whatever I need to have this treasure. So then in his joy, he goes and what? And what does he sell? Oh, <laughs> did you hear that? In his joy, he goes and sells all that he has. What did he sell? Everything. Not just his junk for Jesus. Not just the clothes that don't fit no more. Not the clothes that he says, well, I will never fit in those again. How many of y'all got some, a drawer like that? <laughs> not, not, he, he sells it all. And so again, we can't buy our salvation. That's not what this is advocating. But what this parable is advocating is that when you find Christ, you, it is so valuable, you're willing to give what for it? Everything. And that's what he's saying it requires. Everything. It's not like, well, I'll do it till it gets hard. Or I'll do it till I don't have time to do it anymore. It's, I'm, dude, this is by far the most important thing in my life. It is worth what? It's worth everything. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure in a field which a man found and covered up his joy in his joy. It wasn't like, oh, dang. So, all right, I got Christ, which is woo, really good. But man, Jack, I got to sell all my guns. Oh, you already lost all those boating accidents. Sorry if they're listening, big brother. <laughs> I got to go sell everything I have. I got to get rid of all of my surfboards, Chuck. Oh, my goodness. Woo, the Duke. Even the Duke, God, come on. In other words, look what he says. In his joy. Why did he have joy? Because what he found in Christ was worth way more than anything he ever had in life. Remember what Paul said? Paul said, I got this accolade, this accolade, this accolade. I got this, this, this. But I gave them all up because of what I got in Christ. What I got in Christ is so much more. These things that I have that the world wanted that made them successful, they are nothing but, what does Paul say they are? He says dung in the King James. Dung, all right? compared to what you have in Christ. So man, he found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and he buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. All right, so the first dude wasn't looking for it. The second dude, he's looking. He's looking for pearls. He's a pearl merchant. Any pearl merchants in here? All right, he's a pearl merchant, man. He's going all over looking for pearls, all right? And he's looking for pearls. And maybe you were looking for something. Maybe you were looking for religion. Maybe you were looking for a relationship with a living God. And you kept coming up empty. You tried this. You tried that. You tried this church. You tried these different things. And, and, and nothing was sad. You made your own gods, like Romans 1 says. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of pearls. You're looking for it here. But watch what happens. Uh, go ahead, J.J. I messed up. Who on finding, what did he find? One pearl. This dude's looking for pearls. He's finding all kinds of pearls, right? But he finds one pearl of what? Great value. Huh. This is what I've been thinking about all week. The pearl of great price, man. JJ's like, didn't you preach this out on the disc golf course? I sure did. <laughs> In the parking lot. Whoever was there and who was my critters. Whoever listened that day. Because it's been burning in my heart on finding one pearl of great value. In other words, you find something. You find someone. I, you know, how many of y'all found that 
person. You found that woman. You found that man where you gave up all the... Andy, you still got side chicks, man? No, because she was your pearl. Physically, you know, carnally speaking, she was your pearl of great price. She was so awesome. I'm giving up all these other options and everything I have to marry her. And needless to say, you probably had more options than him, so you gave up more. But, but it was the same reason, man. It was so valuable. I don't need anything else. I don't need anyone else. I'm finding one great pearl of great value. Who allowed this guy to find the pearl? Answer is always God. When he went and sold, what did this guy sell? Hey, Jules, what did he sell? Everything. Because it was worth that. He sold all that he had and he bought it. And so what he's telling us in these two these two parables in context of the whole chapter is that when you find Christ, you're willing to sell out. You're willing to bet it all. You're willing to give it everything you got. And if you've not come to that point, chances are maybe you don't really have Christ. Maybe you are one of the first three soil, the, 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 the soil, and you're like, all right, I'll follow until it gets too hard. Or I'll follow until I get just get too busy. Or, or man, I don't really want anything to do with it, but my, my family wants me here. Whatever. I don't. But when you really find him, what's it worth, Trent? What's it worth? Everything, man. Everything. In fact, Jesus even said the opposite before. He said, What could this world possibly offer that would be worth your soul? That's the opposite of it. But the point is, when you find him, man, he is guaranteed to win, Chuck. So is it, it, would it not make sense? Why would you not bet it all on him? Because our flesh gets in the way. But is he worth betting it all? Should that be our goal to bet it all? What am I not betting on you? What am I not investing in you? And as he shows us, we continually bet for his winning team. And it's not gambling because it's a guaranteed result. Amen? Some of y'all are still having a hard time saying amen to that. You're like, no, I don't know. I don't have to think about what gambling is. No, you know. You know that you're, you're not taking a chance on him. It's guaranteed. Bet it all and ask him to show you what you're not betting on him. And then bet that on him because whatever you're not betting on him, you're betting on yourself or some other losing team. When you could be coming, becoming more like him and he could be getting glory out of the whole situation. That's what Paul is telling us in Romans 8 that we have. In Christ, because of Christ. That's the first part you're going to see today in, in, in all 12 of my points. No, I'm sorry. I only have like four really quick ones here. In Christ, because of Christ, I have new life. This is what we learned last week. Where I am what? To never go to hell. Kentucky Terry. There is absolutely no way in the world, no chance that I'm ever going to hell, brother. How about you? Never. There's no chance because I bet it all on him. I found that pearl of great price. I've, I've sold out to him. And that doesn't mean I'm perfect by any means. We'll see that also. But in Christ, because of Christ, I have new life. So in Christ, because of Christ, where I am guaranteed to, uh, uh, where I am guaranteed to never go to hell, and where I will live with Him in perfection forever. That's what we've got, because we are in Christ. Here's Christ. There's you. If you are in Christ, 
if you're in Christ, how long are you going to be in Christ for? We talked about this last week. Forever. You're in there. So you can't leave. You're in Christ. And you don't want to leave. You're in Christ. So wherever Christ goes, that's where you go. And what we're going to see again, we talked about it a great deal last week, but here's the deal. Christ came to this planet from heaven, right? He came from heaven. Did Christ ever sin? No, He never sinned. He lived a perfect life, right? So, if you were in Christ, what kind of life did you live? Christ lived a perfect life. Gary, what kind of life did you live if you were in Christ? When you give your life to Christ, somehow you get His past, present, and future life, and you are in that. So when you get saved, now you are in His perfect life that He lived. We know from Scripture that when you got saved, we know that He gave you His perfect life and He took away your unrighteous life, which would cause you to die and spend eternity in hell. So He lived a perfect life. So if you're in Christ, what kind of life you got, Gary? Perfect. When, and, and so when Christ lived a perfect life, what then happened to Him? They, they did what? They crucified him. They killed him, right? So once you gave your life to Christ, you're in Christ. Oh, I'll take the perfect life. But then they killed him. They crucified him. So if you're in Christ, where were you when Christ got crucified? In him. You get all the benefits. How many of y'all remember the day you got crucified with Christ? Amen. How many of y'all remember actually being physically on that cross, being beat beyond recognition and nailed to? Anybody remember that? No, that's a pretty good deal, isn't it? You are in Christ. You got the benefits of that crucifixion. And in that crucifixion, he killed your old self is what we learned in Romans chapter 6. It's dead. It went to the cross with Christ. That's our deliverance. We have a new nature that can do what God wants us to do if we kill the flesh, which we will see a little bit later. So you're in Christ. All right, so you died with Christ. That's what we learn in, 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 in Romans 6. You died with Christ. But what happened on the third day? He rose again. So what happened to you? You rose with Him to have resurrection power that you get to live in right now. In fact, that's what we celebrate in baptism. In baptism, it looks like a cross. You die to your old self and say, I don't want to be the boss anymore. And you rise to live a life with Christ in His resurrection power. But again, how many of y'all remember being dead in the grave and raising physically out of the grave back 2,000 years ago with Christ? How many of y'all remember that day? How many of y'all even remember the day you were born? <laughs> Getting out of a wetsuit sometimes is like that birth canal, right? <laughs> I'm just joking, but, but yeah, dude, I'm just saying. You don't remember the day you were born. You don't remember the day that you died on the cross with Christ. You remember the day you gave your life to Him. And symbolically, that's, and, and, and realistically, that's what happened. But you don't, you weren't there 2,000 years ago. But when you gave your life to Christ, you were now in Christ. And it, He says, you were there. You were there. And so now you have that resurrection power. So if you can't, how many of y'all got baby pictures of you were hanging on the cross with Christ? And we got baby pictures. Y'all got resurrection pictures. You, do you guys remember? I don't know if y'all remember. I do. Do you remember? Remember when we scared the mess out of the disciples? <laughs> you know, oh, ah, we thought you were dead. No, no, you weren't there. You weren't there, but you were there. But you've got to believe it by what? Since you didn't physically experience it, you experienced it through what? What's the F word, y'all? Faith. So you got to believe it because God's Word said it and God's giving you the ability to believe it. Right? 
So often in our life, we only believe what, well, I remember that. Well, I remember that. But, you know, the God's honest truth on that, Chuck, right? The older we get, the better we were. You know, well, I remember that. I remember that. No, you experience it through faith because that's what God's Word says. And that's why we've got to be in God's Word. So, I will live with Him in perfection forever. Uh, and so again, verse, uh, hmm, uh, verse, verse, chapter 8, verse 1. We looked at this last week. There is now, or there is therefore... Therefore is there because of everything He's taught us in the first seven chapters. There is no condemnation. I cannot be condemned because I'm in Christ. Is Christ, hey, Julie, is Brad, is, is, uh, is I'm sorry, Brad, I'll pick on you today. Is, is Christ going to ever go to hell, bro? So if you're in Him, are you ever going to go to hell? No, that solves it right there, bro. That's it. If you're in Christ you got to make sure you're in Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation. You can't be condemned for those who are what? Where are they? In Christ. The way you get in Christ is by faith doing what the Bible says and said, I surrender. I give you my life. It's yours, not mine. I don't want to be the boss anymore. And he puts you in him and you get all the benefits of being in him, which means you cannot be condemned because he's not going to be condemned again since the resurrection. There's no condemnation for those who are what? In. That's crucial. In Christ Jesus. So either you're in or you're out. He who has the Son has life. He who doesn't have the Son doesn't have life. You're in or you're out. There's no in-between. And you need to figure out where you're at. Are you in Christ or are you out of Christ? There's only two places you can be in that. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free. Where? What's it say? In Christ. From the law of sin and death. He paid the penalty. He took the punishment. He was your, sub, he was your substitute. He was your sacrifice in all of this. We talked about it last week. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh couldn't do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned flesh. He condemned sin in the flesh. So he came and did everything that we weren't able to do. And he allowed us to be in him. So we get the benefit of that by being where? What, where we ought to be? In Christ. That's where, that's where the benefits are. In Christ, you're either in or you're out. Where are you? You need to know that for sure for you. I posted something a couple days ago just because I saw it and it made a lot of sense with all of this. But man, there's, there's people who've been in church their whole life. They preached in church their whole life. They've been in office of church their whole life. They've been baptized. They've been all these different things, but they're going to hell because they were only in church. They were not in who? Dude, it's Christ. You, if you are in Christ, you will be in church. You'll want to be with his believers. You'll want to be with this. You want to be hearing. You'll want fellowship. But being in church doesn't save you. What did Billy Graham's wife said, or Billy Graham, or something, one of those guys said one time, that you can no more become a Christian by coming to church than you could become a car by sleeping in a garage. Bill Cooper can testify to that. You ever fall asleep in a garage, bro? No, Barb, has he fallen asleep in a garage? Not to your knowledge, because you don't even care what happens out there in the garage, right? But he's not a car yet, right? Not a car yet. But you can no more become a Christian by going to church than you can become a car by sleeping in a garage. 
You're like, dang, I've been sleeping in church forever. When's this going to happen? No, you've got to be in Christ. That's the key. God has done what... So, so that's where He's got us. And for the law, the Spirit of life has set you free. Where? In Christ. You see this redundant theme? In Christ. This is where it's all at. From the law of sin and death. And He goes on and introduces the next part of the subject. For God has done... Okay. Did I go backwards again? Uh, go forward because I'm... Uh, uh, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us because they were fulfilled in Christ who walk not, this is where he's introducing the new theme, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to what? The Spirit. So you are in Christ, you are going to walk in the Spirit. So that brings us to the next point in this, in Christ because of Christ. So let me ask you a question. In Christ because of Christ. Barb, who pursued you? Christ pursued you. So you're only in Christ because of Christ. If Christ didn't pursue you, Dude, you were stumbling around, but he's pursuing me. And you said, I surrender. Now you're in Christ because of Christ. Everything we have is because of him. He put us there. You weren't smart enough. And you know how I know that? Because if it took being smart enough, there ain't no way in the world I'm going to be there. I ain't the sharpest marble in the box. And some of you are right there with me. Amen? Well, I'm worried about y'all didn't say amen. I think you are the sharpest marble in the box. But <laughs> all right. In Christ, because of Christ, I have a new mindset. So because I know what the Word of God says about me being in Christ, I have a new mindset where I think, how many of you ever heard people say, think outside the box, think outside the box, right? And, and, and you know what most people are trying to do, think outside the box? In their human nature, they're trying to come up with something new. Got news for you. Solomon said, if it's new, it's not true. If it's true, it's not new. Humans already came up with all this. You want to think outside the box? You got to get in a new box, which is in who? In Christ. Dude, you're in the flesh and you're trying to think outside the box and come up with some new solution, some new way of doing this, that, and the other. You're just going to come up with what everybody else comes up with. It's already been done. And, and, and God doesn't get the glory in that. Man, you know why I like you guys at Driftwood? Because y'all are just crazy enough to do what God's called you to do. Did you hear the stories? And those aren't just those people. We don't like, oh, did y'all get your check for, you know, your compensation for speaking up today? No, what check? No, no, there ain't no check. <laughs> yeah, you, I know you would love a check. Well, you pray for a check, all right? Because I ain't got one. I'm just saying, but, but you hear it's different people. The God does, and they see life from God's perspective, and he gets the glory. He gets the credit to see what's going on and wait for God to actually do it instead of trying to manufacture it themselves. So in Christ, because of Christ, I have a new mindset where I think outside of my box, but inside of His. Check this out, man. This is awesome. I love this. For those who live according to the flesh, that's your old box, set their minds on things of the flesh. There it is. You know what? I'm going to do things like, you know what? This ain't going to work. This God stuff ain't going to work. This Bible, that ain't how we were taught. That's not the way you do things in society. Keep doing it that way because look what he says. You live according to the flesh, set their, your mind on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, those who are now, where are they at? Where are you at? 
Come on, this is how I'm keeping you awake. If you don't hear somebody saying in Christ, elbow them because they're not awake. This is how, again, you're in Christ. So he says, the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit who are in Christ, they set their what? Their minds. Now, it's not just their thinking. How many of y'all ever, how many of y'all know somebody that's got a mindset? <laughs> a mindset. Uh, man, a mindset, right? You know, uh, it, I was thinking when I was talking to y'all about Chuck, him and his brother, contrary to your dad, did they have a mindset to go surfing? And was your dad like, oh, yes, well, they're going to be good surfers and they're going to have a surf company? Your dad tried to change their mindset, right? How did that work? It didn't because they had their mindset on surfing. Contrary, everybody, you a bunch of irresponsible hippies, man. That ain't doing, you know, that's what surfing used to be, right? It still could be, but it, they got, it's not anymore. But, man, your mind was set. How many of y'all ever had a mindset? And your mindset, nobody could change your mind. It's set. That's why they call it a mindset, right? I'm set on this. This is the way it is. You need Christ to change your mindset from the human mindset to his mindset. And now your new mindset when you are where? In Christ. Your new mindset is, what do you want me to do, Holy Spirit? That's God Almighty that lives inside of you. So he says, but those who live according to the Spirit, they set their what? Minds on the things of the Spirit, which is God. That's, it's the Holy Spirit that's in us that teaches us what it means to be in Christ. He teaches us how to be in Christ, how to stay in Christ. Teaches us everything about God and Christ. It's, it's how God Almighty speaks to us. In fact, later in this same chapter, we're going to see a verse that says, man, things might get so hairy, you don't even know how to pray. Later on in the game today, man. You're just going to be like, oh, God, I don't even know how to play pray for these lions. Well, it's already rigged. It's fixed. It's, it's set. Well, oh, God, I don't know how to pray. Have y'all ever been there where you don't know how to pray? You just don't know how to pray. Later, we're going to see a verse in the same chapter that says, when you don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you is going to take your desires and lift them up to God Almighty in a way that's acceptable to Him. You may not have words. You may not know what to say. You're just like, God, I'm praying. That's all. This is praying. I'm praying, God, take my desire. And the Holy Spirit communicates to God the Father because the Holy Spirit is God. And they communicate. And then the Holy Spirit then communicates to you and may help you make sense out of it. May just want to increase your faith by helping you continue to do something that makes no sense. Right, Erica? <laughs> That's what the Holy Spirit does. So, man, those that live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. Keep doing it the way the world does it. You do what you've always done, you get what you've always gotten. Man, how many of you ever thought you were the best at something? The best. I am the best. And you, and you set your heart, man, on being the best. And all of a sudden, you are the best athlete. You're the best this. You're the best that. And then all of a sudden, somebody comes and they whoop you. There's always somebody better. Always somebody better. But that's not how we as believers gauge success. The way we gauge success is by being who God created us to be and doing what God wanted us to do. That's success. So man, we set our minds to live according to Spirit. What do you want me to do in this moment, in this situation? My mind is set on doing what you want me to do because later we're going to see He empowers us to be able to do that. 
So we have a new mindset. And it's guaranteed He's going to help our mind do that. That's what we have right now. For look at this. For to set your mind on the flesh, it's death. Your dreams, your hopes, your businesses, your relationships, your whatever you're trying to do in the flesh, it's going to die. But to set the mind on the spirit of life, uh, on the spirit is life and what, Chuck? What? Peace. peace. Yeah. How's peace? Is peace good? Yeah, man. Every time I ask Chuck, man, is it worth following Christ, man? Is it worth selling out? Is it worth it? It's like he's got, you got peace and you're trying to not do anything to rob yourself of that what? And you know that peace comes from him. That's what happens when we set our mind on Christ. Hey, is this like, is this a gamble? Is, Tim, is this a gamble? If you set your mind on Christ, do things Christ's way, you might have peace. Is that what he says? Soma, is that what he says? No, he says you're guaranteed to do what? So if you're guaranteed to have peace if you set your mind on him, why would you bet on anything else? Why would you try to find peace? What are things you try to find peace in? Oh, hey, what does Selma try to find peace in? No, I'm just joking, but... How many of y'all try to find peace in anything but Christ sometimes? Yeah. Why? He said it's death. It's going to make you feel an artificial peace, and all of a sudden it's going to be like a balloon that goes... It's gone. But Christ's peace, man, it's there. It's guaranteed. Where do you get peace from? Where do you get peace from? Why do you keep going other places? Why do we keep going other places? More importantly, that's why we've got to be in the Word of God so we know it's the only source of peace. It's the only source of peace. And so we bet everything we've got on God and count on the peace in life that He gives us in this. He said the mind, look at this, the mind that's set on the flesh, on doing what I want to do. Because I said, when you came to Christ, you died. But you do live this life. You don't have to ever crucify your old self. But you do have to crucify the flesh. The flesh is what we live this world in. The flesh is Satan is our enemy who created a world system that our flesh likes. And so we have to continually kill that flesh, crucify it. So he says, the mind that's set on the flesh doing what I want to do, it's hostile to God. Hostile. Every time you choose against God, it's hostile. How many of y'all want to put your dukes up to God, Bob? Come on, God. <laughs> Come on, God. No. And, and, and if you ever watch somebody doing that, how many of y'all try to talk them down? Hey, you might. Dude, I'm going to move over here so if that lightning bolt goes down. I'm, but, but I wouldn't do that if I were you. But every time we choose something other than God, we're hostile towards him in that. And he didn't want us to be that way. That, that, that's, that's, that's a part of our abundant life. He is talking about lost people here in context. But he says it, it doesn't submit to God's, they don't submit to God's law. Indeed, they can't. You know, the only reason you can do what God wants you to do is because God lives inside of you. God lives inside of you. He will give you the power, the desire, and the ability to do the right thing. We'll see this in the next part. So he goes on and says, those who are in the flesh can't please God. So if your life is always trying to take God's rules and do what God wants you to do, you are going to be a miserable failure. But when you give your life to Christ, you are then what? Oh, help me out, y'all. You are in Christ, right? And when you're in Christ, you're walking in the Spirit, not in the flesh. And when you walk in the Spirit, you're going to have love, peace, joy. 
Help me out, man. Love, peace, joy. Woo, patience, right? You know how I know y'all are full of spirit, man, because y'all are still sitting here. See, Tiny's running out of patience right there. <laughs> Those who are in the flesh cannot please God because they're just doing it in the flesh. But God gives you love, peace, joy, patience, goodness, gentleness, meekness, self-control, all the fruit of the Spirit. Man, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. In Christ, so, so again, when you're in Christ, you have a new life in Christ. You're guaranteed not ever to go to hell, but to live with Him forever in paradise, in perfection. Has anyone ever lived in perfection? All right, let me go back. How about your honeymoon? Y'all remember the honeymoon phase? Michelle? <laughs> oh, she doesn't remember honeymoon phase, Trent? Trent's like, no, no. It's just getting better and better as time goes on. But man, yeah, you know the honeymoon phase is where it's, oh, it's great, rose-colored glass, and then reality hits. And you're like, well, dang, this ain't what I signed up for. Then you come to me for marital counseling, all right? And, and we make all the premarital stuff make sense now because back, back then you didn't like, oh, we won't need that. We won't need that. I'm like, yeah, you will. But anyways... But in this, man, it's guaranteed when you are in Christ, you are, have a home in heaven forever, and, and you're never going to go to hell. And when you, <coughs> when you get that, you now have a new mindset. And the mindset he gives you is like, bring it on. I got a big God. Bring it on. Whatever you want to bring. Come on, man. I want to know, what do I do, God? And you count on God telling you everything you need, and you're not afraid. Because you know that every single thing that comes in your life is there by God's design. It's not an accident. It's there to make you more like Him and it's there to bring Him glory. That's why He puts you where? In Christ. And so in that, um, now He says for that new mindset, since you can't do it in the flesh, in Christ, because of Christ, I have a new helper. John, when John was trying to describe to us, John 14, 15, 16, all in there, what Christ was saying the night before he was betrayed, hey, I'm leaving, but I'm going to send you another comforter, another helper, another paraclete to walk alongside you. He's just like me. And it's going to be better that you have him than me here. And I'm going to send him to you at Pentecost, and you're going to get him. It's the Holy Spirit of God. And he said in Acts 1.8, he says, when the Holy Spirit comes, you'll receive What? Power! Everybody's like, woo, I want some power. Do you really want power? Because he says when he sends you power, it's to be witnesses. So that means when you stub your toe, he helps you not do the wrong thing. It means when a tornado's coming, Scott. Oh, he's talking to Tiny over there. Hang on. We'll wait till he's paying attention again. It means when a tornado's coming, you're like, oh, God. Not, oh, God. <laughs> I'm just saying, well, I didn't even know what you said. You just said we needed to pray for the language you used. But I'm just saying. But again, when you're full of the Holy Spirit, you know, he gives you the ability to see it from his perspective. He gives you the ability to do the right thing. He walks beside you. He is the power. He is the con The Holy Spirit is God Almighty living inside of you. Dude, does that freak you out, bro? The Holy, do you, I don't know if you're saved or not, whatever. I, yeah, man, you, man. What, what's your name again? What's that? Teague. Teague. Dude, this guy, back when I was in children's ministry, weren't you like in the, like, didn't I do little preschool chapels and kindergarten chapels with you, man? Stand up real quick. Dang, sit back down. <laughs> I must be old, man. <laughs> but 
God Almighty lives inside of us. Is that not awesome? And again, it's not so like, oh, I can't do anything. No, it's like, God, what do you want me to do? How far does he have to travel to let you know? <laughs> he, he lives inside of you. Can, he wants to empower you to do everything that he is asking you to do. So man, in Christ, because of Christ, I have a new helper. It's the Holy Spirit that fully empowers me to do God's will. You remember we come in this world, we're married to the law. The law is a nagging wife, nagging. I heard the best definition of nagging before. Y'all know good definition of nagging? It's being nibbled to death by a duck. Okay, so that's the law. You do this and like, that isn't the right thing to do. And you know they're right. You're like, mm. then you do this. Well, that isn't right. God, I can't do anything right. Well, that's what I've been told you since I married you. You know, and it's like, that's the law. And the law can't do anything to help us do anything right. So we're like, I hate this. And Christ says, well, you can die and then get a divorce and come marry me. When you die, I'll get you out of this marriage over here with the law. And now you come marry me. And when you marry God, we are now where? In Christ. And we have the Holy Spirit in us. And now we are married to someone that says, this is the right thing to do. And he's like, well, yeah, you didn't quite do that right. But look, man, I'm giving you the power that is our, do it this way. And if we're submissive and not prideful, we'll say, okay, you are always right. And when I do it your way, I'm always right. And God, I can't do this. I don't have the power to do it. And he says, yes, you do. And you're like, okay, by faith, I trust. And you do it. And guess what? When you follow the Holy Spirit of God, you are not ever wrong. In fact, you are always what? Right. And he gives you the power to do it. Which marriage do you want, y'all? This is the marriage we have. That we have everything we need in Christ. Because of Christ, I have a new helper that fully empowers me to do God's will. Look at this. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. All right? In the Spirit. We are in Christ, and it's the Spirit of Christ. We are in Christ. We have the Spirit in us. And if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, so he goes, yes, however, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. So if you have this, if, if you're Christian, if you're a believer, if you, have, you are in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. Look what he says here. This goes against all this charismatic baloney that says, oh, you got to speak in tongues to be saved. You got to have this to be saved. You got, oh, you'll get a second and you'll get this. No, look what he says. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. You don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't belong to Christ. You don't have the Holy Spirit, you are not saved. So therefore, if you are saved and you are where? In Christ, you have who? Boom! He just ain't got all of you. You got all the Holy Spirit that's available, man. He's in there. But he doesn't have all of you. And that's what that process of sanctification is. Of God saying, trust me. But I can't. I can't do it. I can't fly. Oh, watch this. <laughs> and he gives you the ability to do something you could not do. And who gets the glory? Who gets the credit, Marley? God does. And that's why he puts you in those situations. Not so you can cry. Oh, God, I can't do it. Please, no mom would ever make a son do something like this. Oh. It's like, no, God, give me the power and the ability to do it. And your mom goes, whoa, where, how'd, you fit, how'd you pull that one off, Marley? And you're like, God. And then you testify to each other. But that's what we do in this world. And that's how our faith grows. So you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. In, the fact, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. He lives in you. 
anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. You don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't belong to Christ. If you have the Holy Spirit, you belong to Christ. If you have the Holy Spirit, man, why would you not? If you listen to the Holy Spirit, are you going to win or are you going to lose? Tegan, you're going to win or you're going to lose, man? You're going to win. You remember that from years ago, man? Probably not, just probably minutes ago, right? You got a teenage brain. But yeah, you're going to win. Is it guaranteed you're going to win? Guaranteed you're going to have peace, love, joy, patience, goodness. Yeah, it's guaranteed. Why would you bet on anything else? If you know you've got this stuff, why would you bet? Why not bet it all? It's not gambling. God says, in fact, that's what Jesus tried to culminate and summarize in, the, in, in his Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, You've heard me say it so many times. If you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, everything you need will be added to you. Duh. <laughs> that's what all this is going into a lot of detail to tell us. He simplified it for people like me. So man, he goes on and says, anyone who doesn't have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But, he goes on to say, but if Christ is in you, because you are what? Tanya, where are you? If you're in Christ, man, look at this. But if Christ is in you, because you're in Christ, although the body is dead because of sin. So if the body's dead, everything you do with your flesh and body wants you to do, Carol Ann! I have not picked on you all day, man. Oh, there she is. Hey, how's your pool ministry going? Too cold? Dude, anybody got a wetsuit we can hook Carol Ann up with? All right. <laughs> but, man, the body's dead. And, the, and, and, and other thing, everything we do with the body and not the spirit is, is going, it, it's going to fail. It's going to fail. So what's the only thing that's going to live, Carol Ann? The stuff we do in the what? Yes, exactly. Anything we do, in the, it's going to fail. It's going to die. That's the end result. See, that wasn't very hard, right? Captain Mac, what's the answer to every question? God. And so you said spirit, which is the third person of the Holy Trinity. Yes. All right. So the spirit of life. So, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Whose righteousness? Christ's righteousness. And if he's righteous in you are where? then you have His righteousness and His Holy Spirit gives you the ability to pull that off. He's the one that tells you you actually have it. He's the one who lets you know you're in Christ. He's the one who gives you the power. He's the one that you communicate with. He's the one who interprets the Word of God for us. But because of righteousness, look at this. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. You already know the answer to this one, right? The Spirit, uh, who raised Jesus from the dead according to this? Oh, y'all are like, uh, read that again, look at this. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead, so who raised Jesus from the dead? God, but who specifically? The Holy Spirit of God raised Him from the dead. So, so look what it says. He says, who raised Him from the dead. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal body through His Spirit who dwells in you. So when you die, when you die, Selma, if you didn't have a white shirt on, I know you'd be such a good sport. I'd have you lay down and like act like you died and be laying there. All right, raise yourself up. Could you raise your... When you're dead, is there anything you can do? No, dude, you can't even fend off the worms trying to eat your eyeballs, man. I'm just saying, when you're dead, you're dead. 
So are you counting on just being dead forever? No, you're counting on being alive. So you need somebody to be able to make you alive. Who's the only one who's ever brought himself back from the dead? Christ. And He lives in you. So if He lives in you, this verse is saying that you have the one, the only one who can bring you back to life living in you. So when you die and you got your lifeless body, are you worried about it? No, because your brain functions won't be working. But I'm just saying, you can't worry. Some of y'all, that'll be a good thing. But you don't have to worry because you have Christ in you. And that's what it says, man. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And so in that, he's the one who even gives testimony and lets us know that that's what's going to happen. He's the one who lets us know that's what's going to happen. It's all guaranteed. If you knew the guaranteed result, why would you not bet everything you got on it? It's 11.29, so that's like 40, 50 minutes. All right, so... We're almost done. I made my points. I'm just going to summarize them. Oh, no, there's one more point. Sorry, guys. Hang with me. In Christ, because of Christ, I have an obligation to live an abundant life. This is actually next week's stuff, but I have an obligation to Christ. He's given me a new life. He's given me a Holy Spirit. Man, he's given me, a, he's given me all these guarantees, so there's an obligation and I want you to see real super quick. I'm only going to look at one verse in this. I'm not going to do the whole thing because we'll cover the rest next week. But I want you to see who you don't have an obligation to. So in Christ, because of Christ, I have an obligation to live an abundant life. That ain't a bad thing to be obligated to. I, to renew my mind, Charlie. Constantly renewing my mind with the Word of God. And to walk through the Holy Spirit as the author. And to walk in the Spirit. So basically, I have a new life. I have someone, God, living in me, and he says, this is what I want you to do through his word, and we do it. He gives us the ability to do it, and that's not a bad deal. He said that's guaranteed if that's what you want to do. So if I do that, it will be impossible for me to satisfy the desires of the flesh. The desires of the flesh will cause me to die and my dreams and my hopes and desires to die with them. So look at verse 12 real quick. So then, brothers, we are debtors. Ooh, we're in debt, not to the flesh. Hey, if you're not in debt to the flesh, Jules, I just caught you right in the middle of that yawn real quick, man. I'm just trying to help you out here, man. So it, if, if, we're not in, if we're not in debt to, if, to the flesh, do we owe this old body anything? Do we owe, owe our old life? Well, you know, I've been kind of neglecting my old lost self a little bit. Uh, do we owe our body anything? Do we owe our old self? No. Who do we owe everything to? Him. You don't owe your old self anything. In fact, anything you do will be a failure. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. You don't owe that old body anything, that old person anything. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, in other words, you crucify the flesh, say, I'm not doing it that way. I'm going to do it the way you want me to do it, God. You will what? You will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Next week, we look at being heirs of God. Dude, I know my kids. They are so looking forward to me dying and them inheriting everything in my garage. <laughs> oh, my goodness. They're, and in the attic, and, and all my cast iron, and all the cup, kitchen. Cup. Emily, I know you're just like, oh, I love my dad, but I love all that stuff, man. No, we're heirs. 
Oh, the son-in-laws are excited. Yeah, you guys are like, going to have to fight them off on that. So, you, so he goes on, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. We'll go into that next week. And listen to this. We have the ability to look up to God and cry, What? Father. Yeah. Is, is that only when we're behaving? No, that's all the time. That's on our worst day as well as our best day. Man, he's given us all of these guarantees. All of, if we give, if we seek first, seek only, seek always the kingdom of God and his righteousness, we have everything we need. That's a promise. It's a guarantee. If, if, if it's a guarantee, is it not worth betting everything we have on? And how foolish is it to bet on the losing team if we know they're going to lose? They don't need your help. <laughs> In fact, there's no benefit to you. So if you know without a shadow of a doubt that God is guaranteed to win, why would you not bet it all on Him? Let's bow for prayer. Father, thanks for loving us and thanks for giving us this word. Um, Father, I don't really know football's all fixed and college football, all that stuff. I don't really care. I don't... Father, it doesn't really matter. I know what's fixed, and what's fixed is you. You have fixed it all. And Father, I love when you told us in the, the best laid plans of men, <laughs> you laugh at those because they think they're in control. Father, even when we think we're in control, Father, we're not. We know you're in control. And you give us the ability to surrender ourselves to you and be able to say, Abba, Father. We have the ability to be adopted by the one in total control that's got it all fixed. And for your children, we become heirs. That's awesome. So Father, I pray that if there's somebody here that's never given their life to Christ, I pray they realize that when they die, there's only two conclusions. They either go to heaven or they go to hell. You're either in Christ or you're not in Christ. If you have the Son, you have life. If you don't have the Son, you don't have life. And Father, um, Take away any confusion that the world may have caused in creating an illusion that there may be other options. Help us be able to understand from your word that those are the only two. Father, I pray that there's somebody here that doesn't know, that they know they know that they are in Christ, that today you would give them a desire they can't refuse to surrender everything they know about themselves, everything they know about you. Father, help them to realize that desire comes from you. The desire is like the wind. They don't know when it's coming. They don't know when it's leaving, but they know when it's there. And if that desire is in there and you're pursuing them, Father, help them to see how foolish it would be to not just bet it all on you. Father, I'm so grateful back Christmas 87 and nailing it down June 27, 1988, when I just said it's all yours. And I really meant it. It's all yours. So, Father, if someone isn't there, bring them there because they can't get there without you. They can only get there through faith. But if they have the faith to do that, help them realize that faith is a gift. Father, I pray that for those of us that know that we are in Christ, that, Father, we would be encouraged by what it means to be in Christ. We would go back and look at these passages, look at what we have. And Father, we would stop betting on the losing team. 
But I couldn't even imagine if somebody came to me and they said, hey, you want to bet on the Texans and Ravens game? <laughs> I couldn't even imagine if they wanted me to bet for the Texans because we already know they lost. But Father, uh, we know you win everything. We already know Satan loses. We know the flesh loses. We know you win. Help us, Father, to bet it all on you. And I pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>